Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to episode 164 of the Highly Relevant Podcast, a show about how Latinx pop culture is reshaping mainstream entertainment. I'm your host, Jack Rico, and we continue my retrospective series for Hispanic Heritage Month, where I revisit with you my favorite interviews of the last five years. On this third episode of our series, I talk to the very beloved actress-producer Aubrey Plaza, who has become a star comedian and a cult indie film queen since her big break as April Ludgate on NBC's Parks and Recreation. Since then, she's become a film actress, and she's done popular films such as Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates, and The Child's Play Reboot. She's now coming off of a dramedy with Michael Caine called Best Sellers. She's also currently working with Jason Statham on the action thriller Operation Fortune, Ruse de Guerre, and is gearing up for Hulu's comedy, Old Olga Dies Dreaming. In this interview from November 26, 2020, close to Thanksgiving last year, Aubrey and I discussed her recent comedic psychological thriller, Black Bear. We also touched upon her interest in producing Latinx content and why breaking Latina stereotypes is a priority for her. But before I talk to Aubrey, it's time I give you my weekly recap of the top Latinx pop culture headlines in a segment I like to call Jacked In. Let's begin with the top movie, TV, music news of the week. Latin Grammy nominations are in. Colombian artist Camilo leads all nominees with 10 nominations. And Spaniard Citangana with 5. Queen of the South showrunner Dailin Rodriguez is developing a Tropicana night series. Diego Luna has finished production of Star Wars Andor. Daddy Yankee signs with William Morris and Endeavor. Entertainment One board Spanish language submarine drama Operación Marea Negra. The Tony Awards on CBS had an all-time historic low rating of 2.6 million households. Geraldo Rivera inks a new multi-year deal with Fox News. Lights, Camera, Acción, a TV celebration of the incredible impact Latinos have made in Hollywood, will premiere Tuesday, October 5th on PBS. MasterChef Latinos on Estrella TV will return in 2022, and CBS's Magnum P.I. adds actor Martin Martinez to its season four cast. And in tech and social media news, TikTok hits 1 billion monthly users worldwide. Instagram to temporarily suspend development of an app for kids. Google Lens will soon search for words and images combined. Snapchat is seeing a resurgence in India. Instagram Reels are now widely available on Facebook. Amazon Echo will include Hey Disney as a custom voice assistant in 2022. And new augmented reality sunglasses from Enreal are made for binge-watching TV. First of 
all, what a pleasure to meet you. You too. Nice to meet you, Jack. Had a chance to catch this film, Black Bear, and I have to say, what a trippy movie this movie was for me. Yeah. Because I'm watching it for the first 20 minutes, 20, 30 minutes, and all of a sudden, I got into cruise control with the film, thinking I exactly knew what this movie was all about. Right. And I was waiting for the development, the fleshing out of that storyline that I think some people in our, you know, these are the types of things that you don't want to experience, but you wouldn't mind watching. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, flip. So explain and describe this movie to, uh, to me from your perspective. It's, um, man, it's probably one of the hardest films I've ever had to explain. Um, but I would say that in an overall sense, it's kind of a, a uh, ex, it's kind of, it's, um, well, it's about a filmmaker named Allison, played by me, um, who has arrived at this lake house in the middle of nowhere on some kind of creative exploration. She's got writer's block and she's trying to figure out what to write about. And she meets this married couple that are clearly going through some, having some marital problems. Um, and she becomes entangled in this kind of toxic dynamic that, that they have and that she ends up adding on to. And, uh, and it escalates to a point that you can't even believe. Um, and then there's a very, very insane turn in the film where all of a the sudden these characters become entirely different characters and they're now shooting a movie um, on the same property. Now, I don't know if this, this is a spoiler, so I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say all this stuff. Probably not, Aubrey. Okay. So, um, <laughs> mommy? So then these characters become these come these completely different characters and then the film is just kind of turned slightly um off its head and and it becomes an entirely new exploration um of the same themes but in a different kind of context and the way that i kind of describe it to my close friends and family is it's kind of like two nightmares interwoven to make one mega nightmare Wow. Yes. And it's kind of, um, you know, for me, it's almost an unconscious kind of exploration of the creative process and um, how toxic it can be when you're working intimately with, with a loved one and trying to create art at the same time and how, how complicated that can be. Do you believe that to be true to life too? Yes. And, um, and you know, I think that's, that's part of why the reason the movie exists because uh, Larry Lawrence Lamide and I had a lot of conversations about um, what it's like to shoot a movie with your partner. Both of us are um, involved with filmmakers, so we have a lot to say on that matter. And um, and I think um, it was just it's just a really interesting thing to explore. And um, I think that's kind of what inspired him to write it. Now you're a producer in this film. What was it like producing it, or, or do you usually produce films? Um, I have produced a couple of films. I believe this is my third film. Uh, is it easy? Is it hard? Is it something that you continually want to do? It depends on the project. I don't necessarily need to produce every movie I'm in, but um, but uh, I would say that, you know, this movie is a miracle 
movie that had even got made. Um, you know, it's really hard to find financing for such a small um, artistic script that, you know, isn't so obvious, isn't so marketable, all of those things. So um, adding myself as a producer will only give us a better chance to, to get it in front of people. Um, so I think that it, it's uh, valuable for me in that sense. And, and then creatively, it's just um, really rewarding um, to be able to be involved in the, in the process even after the shoot and have my opinion matter, you know, and ha have a really big effect on the end result, which is something that I find really rewarding. How do you give such a great performance that you did here because you look like you really tapped into a wide range of emotions here? And then to have to then produce, because everything I've been hearing about producing is that you're involved in the film in many of the decision-making. So is that good for the acting? It's interesting, I don't know. Um, I think that it really works for me because there are other producers involved. So when I show up to set and it's my, you know, it's my scene and I have to act, then I, I'm totally an actor and I'm able to kind of switch, switch hats in that way and just focus on acting. Um, and then, but it's exhausting. I, I would say just, it adds a, it adds another le level of anxiety because when we wrap for the day, then all of a sudden I go like, all right, I'm not an actor anymore. Now I'm a producer. Now I'm going to think about tomorrow and think about how to solve all these problems that have come up today. Um, but normally I surround myself with people that I trust. So I don't have to, I don't have to shoulder that all on my own. So I can focus on the acting, but I would say um, I'm always, even as an actor on set, I'm always kind of conscious of just the culture of the set and how people are being treated um, things like that. And I think that that part of my brain, producer brain, I can't really turn off. Um, and I don't know if it affects my performance or not, but I don't really care. There was a portion in the film where um, one of the characters was asking if you were joking or not. And it was a very emotional, crucial part of the film. She goes, I don't even know if you're joking or not. Are you serious or not? And I felt that that's what a lot of people have like a perception of you um, in your films. Like they're like, you're slowly having these films where that's an Aubrey Plaza film. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it has its own stamp of humor, of intellect. Uh, you know what you're getting in an Aubrey Plaza film. Do you feel you're giving viewers an Aubrey Plaza film or are you stretching yourself out here to change those perceptions? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think that this film was written for me and in, some, in a lot of ways, I think that um, it's an attempt to kind of deconstruct this persona that people associate me with. Um, it's not something I ever anticipated when I set out to become an actor, you know, I just, I can't control the parts that I get and, you know, how, how, how heavily people associate me with those, with those parts. Um, but I would say this movie more than probably any movie I've done, I would, I would hope would show, would show people that there's a lot more to me than, than maybe they think. Is that something you want to prove? Or, or did you read a, a review of a film, an essay on you or something where you said, you know what, I'm going to prove these guys wrong. I'm going to prove them that there's 30 sides to me, not just the one that they keep on focusing on. 
I mean, look, I'd love to say that I don't care what people think about me. And I really don't in a lot of ways. Um, but of course, there's that part of me that that wants to prove something that wants, you know, wants respect. I demand respect. Okay. <laughs> and I want it now. Um, but I, um, but you know, I can't live my life, you know, trying to, you know, prove people wrong about me. I don't give a shit. But I just, it's more like, it's more fulfilling for me to do things different, to do something different every time. I'm not interested in doing the same thing. And I know, I know that I'm not, that I'm more, more than April Ludgate. Um, and if people don't, you know, don't see that, then they can, you know, go watch Parks and Rec and whatever <laughs> on Netflix and be happy. I don't care. Right. When was this movie shot? It was shot in the Adirondacks, um, a couple hours north of Albany, um, in this very isolated like lake town um, in the woods. What was the experience of shooting that film there? Did you enjoy yourself, or was it challenging? It was challenging. It was very, very beautiful setting. The lake was gorgeous, and the house was a, the house was beautiful. It was a, an idyllic setting for a vacation. Mm -hmm. um for a movie shoot not so much um mm -hmm. you know we didn't anticipate how many problems we were going to have on this isolated location in for example we had you know we didn't have a backup generator so we lost power all all hours of the day and night um, producer producer really... what do we do <laughs> oh yeah well we we get another backup generator and then we find out that 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 the car carrying the backup generator has broken down on the highway i mean it's literally just disaster after disaster right um so we were battling out there it felt like we were were battling every day the elements the rain the bugs the just everything so we just recently found out that wonder woman 1984 is going to be streaming on hbo max it's going to be going out in theaters, but simultaneously going out there. And I had written on Twitter that this just seems to confirm the demise of at least the way we used to know movie theaters and the movie theater going experience. Are you starting to notice that the content you're going to continue to create might just be seen on a television or on a phone? Um, I... I think I'm a little more optimistic than you. I wouldn't confirm the demise of, of the big screen just, just yet. You know, I would hesitate to do that because I think um, the experience of seeing a movie on a big screen is not just about the size of the screen. It's about the communal experience and it's about, um, it's about seeing a piece of art in a group. Um, it's how um, societies, um, evolve, you know, it's a collective, it's a collective experience, a collective um, memory that we all share. And it's something that connects us all as human beings. And I think that um, most people feel that way about going to the movie theaters, even the, even if they can't articulate why. Um, it's just, it's, it's important. It's more, it's way more important than I think people even realize. So um, I think that I'm hopeful that, um, that will get out of this, you know, phase of no movie, no movie theaters being open, and we'll get back to a place where people can can go back and and see movies on the big screen. But that being said, of course, times are changing, things are streaming and all that stuff. So, you know, it's fine. Got to put it on HBO Max. Go for it. But I don't. I wouldn't. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't change my mode of you know creating content 
um, based on, you know, the fear that, you know, things have changed forever because I just don't think that's true. And, um, and I just went to the drive-in premiere of Happiest Season um, and it was awesome. And it felt, and it reminded mm -hmm. me like, oh, you know, it's like, it was like a time traveling moment where I looked around and I went like, it's honestly, it's like, like we're in the fifties or something, you know, people <laughs> used to do this. Yeah. Like people used to roll up to the drive-in movie there. It was like, it was very romantic, you know? Um, I think the world kind of goes in cycles like that. So I'm, I think it's, I, I can't say what will happen, but I'm not giving up on the big screen. Has the experiences of 2020 in any way changed you as a storyteller with the types of stories you want to be able to tell now? It's definitely kind of brought me back to, to a place, to almost like a, you know, the, the, stu the film student kind of version oh, of myself. Um, because I think limitations are really good for art. You know, when we, when we can't, you know, conduct ourselves like we normally do and create things like we normally do. We have to get, we have to think outside of the box. We have to get creative and we have to problem solve. And I, I think all of these things are really, really good for generating art. So I would say that one thing I've thought about a lot in the past couple of months are kind of like, how do you tell us, how do you tell an intimate story from far away? It has made me go, it has made me think about filmmaking in a, in a in a different way and and um whether I'm conscious of it or not like I, de I definitely think it's it's going to infuse itself into the stories that I want to tell final question just sh uh, shifting gears here for a second my uh, I'm Colombian uh, Colombian American and uh, this podcast that we're doing is a Latinx pop culture podcast and for a long time I've been hearing that you are Hispanic Latina Puerto Rican yeah. But I don't hear you talk that much about it, so I don't know too much about it. I kind of wanted to take the time to kind of ask you, I know your mom is Irish, I believe, and your dad's Puerto yeah. Rican from Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, how do you identify when someone wants to know where you're from? Do you say you're Irish? Do you say you're Puerto Rican? Do you say I'm American? Or do you, do you not have a denomination of, of identity? Honestly, the the first the first thing I usually say is I'm half Puerto Rican. I you, the Puerto Rican part is usually the thing I lead with because um, just culturally, I think that that's how I grew up. Like that's I I identify with my Puerto Rican family probably more than um, than anything else. My mom I am half Irish. My mom's Irish, but my mom was also adopted um, by an Irish Catholic family. So I grew up kind of partially with this Irish Catholic family, um, not blood related to me. Um, and I love them. They're my family too. But, um, but my, the Puerto Rican side of my family, I guess was felt a little more like, um, you know, that, that just was like home for me. So I'm half, but I'm still, you know, Puerto Rican, both my grandparents are from Puerto Rico. I've still have family there and cousins there and have a huge family, obviously. So like, tons of cousins in Philly and we salsa dance in the kitchen. You know, I don't know. <laughs> do Whatever. you speak Spanish, Aubrey? Um, I do, but I'm not very, I'm not fluent. And I blame my father and I blame my, my, my grandfather for that because my, uh, my dad's not fluent either. Weirdly. Um, my, some of my aunts and uncles are, but my dad just, it didn't take to him. And my grandfather who, when I was growing up, was a police officer in Philadelphia, um, but he came from Puerto Rico. I mean, 
you know, it was like classic story where he like, you know, literally just like got on a boat and like hid in the boat kind of style, like to get to New York or whatever. And um, he was very, very, very um, disciplined about them speaking English as their first language mm-hmm. growing up. So he, he was, that's how he was. And he didn't want them to speak Spanish. He wanted them to speak English. And so, you know, how that, how that goes. And so my dad never really, um, he never really taught, you know, he didn't teach me or anything, but it's, it's my fault. Um, but my family speaks <laughs> Spanish and my, you know, when I'm around them, it's like, they'll speak Spanish to me, but I, I, I'm not as confident. So I'll, I always respond in English, but. Recently, we were talking to a bunch of friends of mine about the lack of Latinx content anywhere. Like you kind of just don't really see it. And there's a lot of image representation issues that I think a lot of people are now very clear about. Uh, Has there ever been a desire for you to explore maybe that part of your Puerto Rican culture and to be able to tell those stories, maybe through film, curiosity, inquisitiveness about that side and create content that kind of reflects those questions, that curiosity about your Puerto Rican side, because an Aubrey Plaza Latinx film is something we all definitely need to see. Yeah, no, I definitely want to do that. I'm going to do that for sure. I'm doing that. Um, I think like in my own way, it's like I try to, you know, like April Ludgate on Parks and Rec, it's like I was very adamant about going like, look, maybe she's half Cuban, you know, I don't know, maybe her mom's <laughs> Cuban, maybe whatever. And they're, they're like, great idea. But, um, but obviously it wasn't about that. But I think in a, in my own way, I feel like I try to portray Hispanic characters that aren't the stereotypes, because I think that's one thing that we're really up against, especially like Latino women. It's like, there's such a stereotype there. And there are so many different kinds of Hispanic women and people that we just don't even see like we just they're not represented on film um or on television it's just the same kind of like archetypes um over and over again and so absolutely i will do that um and i also think that for me personally there's there is something really interesting about being half hispanic because it's like you know people judge you like by the color of your skin it's like sorry like just because I have my mom's like Irish complexion or whatever it's like doesn't it it, it it there's an interesting kind of like identity crisis that like I think I have always had and struggled with my whole life because I I grew up in a very conservative like Irish Catholic community in Delaware um you know but that but that that's not really like who I am so um and I was always considered kind of like the diverse one, but people were always like, <laughs> but you're white. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm not. So it, it's, yeah. So I think there's a lot of things that I have to say about it. And um, I would love to, I would love to do more Latinx stories and, and, and promote that representation in the industry because um, it's a real, we got a long way to go. Just before I wrap up here, here are three land tracks you might want to add to your playlist this weekend. Rompelo. 
Sima Funk featuring Lupe Fiasco. Innovator, viva la imitators, meet the leader, eat a beater, don't need a pinup. En la ciudad de la furia, a terciopelados. Estéreo. That's it for episode 164 of the Highly Relevant Podcast. If you like this episode, please share with your friends and have them subscribe and leave a review. You'd be helping us reach many more people. If you'd like to get in touch with me, reach me out on Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube. Next week, we revisit my interview with Mexican-American director Robert Rodriguez. I'm Jack Rico. See you next week on another episode of Highly Relevant. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.